Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. We are only two weeks away from Canada Day, and the mayor of Victoria made news this week by canceling Canada Day celebrations, citing that moving ahead would be damaging to Victoria's efforts at reconciliation. So what do you think? We're asking that question over on the What She Said Facebook page today, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. So hop on over and chime in. But first, stick around for today's show. First up, the incomparable and unstoppable Leslie M. joins me to share how you can swagger through your life. Leslie has turned technologists into creative forces, bankers into storytellers, and has brought a serious dose of badassness to boardrooms around the globe. Today, she sets her sights on you and shares some details from her new book, Swagger. This week on RBC's She's the Boss, we're profiling Barbara Joy Mitchell from Picnics in the Six, Toronto's very first picnic service, which was created when Barbara Joy was inspired to transition her traditional catering business due to the pandemic. She saw a unique opportunity to give back to the community by starting a company that spreads positivity and helps celebrate special moments with loved ones. Anne Brody has her usual reviews for Saturday Night at the Movies over on WhatSheSaidTalk.com, but joins us this week with an interview with Toronto native Deanna Margulies, who is a Pixar character art director and worked on the latest released Luca. Are you an overthinker? You are definitely not alone. Sam Mador is an entrepreneur, speaker, and mental health advocate who wears many hats. She is also the host of the Let Me Overthink About It podcast and joins me to share five of the biggest life events women overthink about. If you have an angsty teen in the house, you might want to think about constantly striving to cheer them up. Allie Payne, our expert on all things to do with adolescence, joins me to share why our attempts to cheer up our teens might be doing more harm than good. Finally, Rana Kalad, co-host of HGTV's Hot Market, joins me to talk about the hot market in real estate. Rana wants women to chase their home ownership dreams and realize that, yes, you can do it on your own if you want to. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Leslie M. has discovered the secret to tapping into your authentic self and turning it into a superpower for unleashing everything you are at work and in life. For the last 13 years, Leslie has traveled the globe with her award-winning company, Combustion, training senior execs and teams from Fortune 100 companies like Google, PepsiCo, Uber, Disney, Lenovo, and many more. She's turned technologists into creative forces, bankers into storytellers, and has brought a serious dose of badassness to boardrooms everywhere. Today, she's got her gaze on you and joins me now to give us all a little swagger in all areas of our life. Welcome to the show, Leslie. Thanks so much for having me. 
So let's talk about the word swagger first, because it kind of, to me, uh, you know, I always thought it meant arrogant, you know? So what does it mean to you? I have redefined this word. It is not that show-offy, peacocky, in-your-face, arrogant kind of jam that that nobody likes. You know, we sort of, we, we look at it and we go, oh, that's swagger. But we kind of on the inside go, ooh, I, I don't know. My kind of swagger is the ability to manifest who you really are and hold on to it in the face of all of that psychological crap that's going to come for it, regardless of the situation or environment. So it means you got one truth, one face, one heart, and you show up with it no matter where you are or what's going on around you. So it's about a confidence then with with yourself and your own identity that you share with the world. Yeah, I think it's more about self-acceptance than it is really about self-assuredness because that is a byproduct of self-acceptance. So, you know, confidence in the true sense is something that only can result from competence. That's the only way you can get legit confidence, only by doing something over and over again and proving to your very resistant brain that you've got this, that you've got this sort of baseline covered. Can you kind of breathe a little bit and walk into a room feeling like you can handle it? But the the thing about swagger is that it doesn't rely on competence because we are all at different places in our journeys. And part of the problem is that everybody thinks that everybody is further along. And everybody wishes that they were for, you know, at the place that everybody else was in their journey. We have a really hard time accepting that we are here now and that's all good. We were somewhere else a year, two, three, five years ago, and we're going to be somewhere else in two, three, five years from now. Um, but it's that acceptance of here's where I am and I'm good with where I am. All right. You said that fake it till you make it doesn't work, which kind of goes against the, uh, you know, the common story we hear. What does work? The, the problem with fake it till you make it is that the thing that you're trying to fake is confidence, right? And as soon as you walk around telling everybody, oh, I got it, I'm all over it, I can handle it, what happens is you limit your ability to grow because you can't ask for help now. If you've been telling everyone you got this and you're on it, now you're a liar, right? If you start asking for help. And the way that we grow the best is when we have other people to support us and teach us and mentor us and, and so on. And we want to be able to go sit at their feet and go, oh, great, wise, experienced person. Might I be so humble as to, you know, gain some of your wisdom. And um, and so when we go through that whole fake it to make it um, thing, we are we're stuck in that in that kind of prison of our own making. Plus the fact that we know that that based on research, there's a, something called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And if you walk around thinking that you're all that before you're all that, A, you start to believe your own hype, which is very dangerous because then you have less of a desire to grow, but you also fall victim to making really bad decisions because by definition, they're kind of uninformed, but you can't ask anybody for help. So, I mean, who's kidding who? We all started from somewhere. We're all going somewhere. And instead, we want to look to self-belief which is very different. Self-belief doesn't require competence. It doesn't require confidence. It's just that unerring feeling that you can take a step off the cliff and you're not going to die. And that's the thing that's going to take you through this world. So you, you clearly have swagger. There is no question of that. So where did that come from within you? I mean, this you could, you weren't born this way. Uh, well, I, I think that everybody comes into the world a swagger-filled badass. You ask any little kid, you know, 
Are you beautiful? Oh yeah, I'm the most beautiful. I'm so smart. I'm amazing. I can do anything. I can take on the world. And then life come for, comes for us and, and inexorably beats the crap out of us and, and takes notches, whether it's our family, whether it's our, you know, our first relationships, our first bosses. And before we know it, we wake up and we go, what the hell happened? Who, who am I? How did I become this? I think the advantage that I had was I was raised by an incredible mother. I mean, incredible oh, wow. parents. Right? I know your mom. I, I, knew, I knew your mom, Evelyn Hannon, Journey woman, uh, incredible woman. So yes, you definitely had a leg up for sure. Oh yeah. And what she did for both my sister and I was she told us over and over and over again that we did not have to conform in order to be loved and accepted, that we were magical and special the way that we, we were and that we could do anything we wanted to. And that message was repeated over and over and over again. And she really modeled it for us. You know, my mother was a groundbreaker and, you know, and a game changer. And we saw that you could do that and be that and bad things didn't happen. So I was very lucky to have it so clearly modeled by a woman in particular in, in my house. And, you know, one of her, her favorite, you know, questions to ask whenever we would, you know, aspire to some crazy, amazing thing, she'd say, why not you? Someone's got to do that amazing, wonderful thing. Why not you? What's stopping you? And then she would wait for an answer. Cause you know, my mother, she didn't play. She wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't lip service. She was like, uh, uh, uh. No, I will disavow you of that, of that, uh, you know, myth. You can do and be anything. And so we did become everything that, that we wanted to. Right. I, lo I love this. So tell me then about swagger blockers. What are they? Well, there's so much that, that kind of has us withdraw over the years into that really safe place in ourselves that we save only for the people who we know absolutely we trust and who love us and, and so on. But for the rest of the world, we, we often, we want to show them who we really are, but we get stuck, you know, we get stuck. So I've identified these five kind of human conditional blockers and they are persona, ambition, insecurity, fear, and pain. And each one of those will get you stuck in some way, shape or form. Like if you believe you have to show up and walk and talk and dress and act a certain way to be accepted, you're stuck in persona. If you're so busy trying to climb the ladder, because that's the way that the only way that you're going to get validation and you allow that process to change you and turn you into someone you're not, you're stuck in ambition. If you're all, if you're consumed with the what ifs and the imposter syndrome and the, this, this sense that, that you don't know what's gonna happen and so you become paralyzed, that's insecurity. If you're afraid of the consequences of every action that you take, you're stuck in fear. And if you're trapped in the memory of times that your real self tried to get out into the world and got a little bit of a knockback, you're stuck in pain. Knowing where you're stuck the most is really important because then you know where to start to work. Cause it's a lifelong journey, this, this attaining your swagger thing. Absolutely. absolutely. I mean, it never ends. Listen, I literally wrote the book on swagger and every day I have to check myself and remind myself of what, what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking and, and examine it and make sure that I'm not getting stuck in one place or the other. Well, like anything in life, I feel like there's an opposite to the blockers. Are there drivers that we, that we have? Oh girl. Yes, there <laughs> are. Uh, that is truth. The ability to speak your truth and to show people through your words and your, your deeds, who you really are and not to hold back on that. But you got to make sure that it's aligned with intention. Because if your intention is not to be not just good for yourself and not just to speak the truth for your own benefit, but if you're not doing it for the benefit of the other, the, the collective and the greater good, it's probably not going to go too well for you.
So if you have that that wind at your back, that is the positive, you know, um, uh, intention that you want to have in the world, it really does help people get on board with your truth, which is what you want. There's no point in speaking it unless people can hear it. And then there's that self-belief that's going to keep you pushing and pushing. And even if you get knocked back and you bump into a blocker, you get back on the horse and you go out there again going, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump that jump this time. I'm going to, I'm going to take that fence. Right. Okay. I love it. I'm, I'm rushing out to get swagger this weekend, uh, at the, at the bookstore. Now that the bookstores are open again, uh, I want people uh, to be able to find you online, follow along and find your book. So where can they do that? You can learn more about me and the work that I do as a swagger coach and stuff at lesliem.com. That's L-E-S-L-I-E-E-H-M. You can learn more about the book at swaggerthebook.com. And I'm a total, you know, soulful goofball on social. So come play with me on Instagram at, at lesliem speaks. I'm at lesliem on Instagram, at lesliem on Twitter. And the book is available everywhere. It is now officially a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller. Wow, that is some swagger for you. Yeah, yeah. you got a girl with the truth in this world, and you don't care what people are going to think about it from the negative. You hope that they're going to embrace the positive. Again, it's resonating with people like crazy because they're they're saying, I feel like you're talking directly to me, and that's everything that I wanted. Well, I really felt that today myself. So thank you for joining me today, Leslie. This was great. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Joining me now for RBC She's the Boss is Barbara Joy Mitchell. Barbara Joy's expertise in hospitality and passion for bringing people's special celebrations, dates, and proposals to life has made her business one of Toronto's most trendy and insta-worthy picnic services. Picnics in the Six, Toronto's very first picnic service, was created when Barbara Joy was inspired to transition her traditional catering business by Joy Events due to the pandemic. She saw a unique opportunity to give back to the community by starting a company that spreads positivity and helps celebrate special moments with loved ones. I am so happy to have you join me today, Barbara Joy. Hi, how are you? I'm obsessed with your business. Absolutely <laughs> obsessed. You make me want to throw it a blanket and just picnic every day. Tell me about that moment when COVID first hit and you realized your business was, was almost decimated. I remember at that time of year um, when it was all coming about, it was like I was excited to get into like the new year. I had weddings booked, I had events booked corporate. And as like we were finding a little bit more about what was happening with COVID, I started to realize like, don't think that's going to be happening. And then that's like when the cancellations and everything started coming in. Um, and then I was quickly trying to like make small businesses. Like I was trying to do grocery deliveries. I was doing grades box, smaller deliveries. And I remember Mother's Day was coming up and I was doing so much running around and I got in a car accident. Someone hit me. And I think that was a moment that was like, 
it's just time to slow down. No one knows what's going on. Just take a break. And, uh, you know, the weather started getting a little bit nicer and we started going for walks and hikes. And I started making little picnics for my friends. And I was like, like, we need this right now, like a service. And I, I was like, who's doing this around here? No one was. So I was like, I'm doing it. And here we are now today. And the, and the rest is history. Most yeah. people, most people would have, you know, collapsed under the pressure of that. I really love how you pivoted and turned this into a whole new uh, thriving business. Yeah. So tell me then about, um, you know, you have all of these uh, props that you use. Uh, you you make the food. You you just set up absolute beautiful settings. Um, so how soon after you started it, did the business start to take off? I started in end of May, launched on Instagram in June. I didn't have my first picnic until July 1st. And then probably about a week after that, I had almost a picnic every single day. And on some days too last year, by the end of the year, we did close to 200 picnics. And I'm saying we, but it was me. <laughs> me. Me and sometimes my mom or I'd call up friends. The best thing with COVID is I had friends working from home or they had time off. So I really got to kind of pull out uh, help from those areas. You have scaled your business now. Mm-hmm. It was just you. And now you employ how many people? Now, including me and my mom, because she's a big part, uh, nine of us. So uh, we just hired uh, seven event stylists or picnic stylists, and um, I still design all the picnics, and I go through over them with how we're going to plan to set it up on site, but now they can go off and set it up. So we are essentially able to service about seven picnics at the same time if we wanted to, and we've, I literally dumped everything back into the business, of course, so stocked up on inventory, we can take events up to 50 guests at the same time. So do you pick the picnic location or do the people who are booking with you pick where the picnic will be set up? Combination of the two. Uh, a lot of times people just are like, Barbara, take care of me. You know the best. I Like they'll share with me their region and then I'll have preferred parks or if they want a certain vibe, then I will suggest the park or sometimes people even have sentimental value to certain places maybe it's a date and that's where they met the person or went on their first date so they'll request a part two and we'll check it out and then yeah we'll set up there too and are you ever doing picnics in people's backyards 100 percent, and that's people love that because they can drink easier and you know maybe go a little bit later um but that's definitely they're probably some of my favorites too what are the next steps then for picnics by six what's next Ah, for picnics in the six, um, we're just going to continue to grow. We're also going to be launching our backyard glamping soon. So we have a five meter bell tent. It sleeps eight. Uh, you can lounge in there for about 10 guests. Uh, we're planning to do like um, parties so you can get like manicures or massages in there. Um, we're also going to be doing private dining styling. So we're taking the picnics off the floor and kind of doing that whole vibe and styling just in a, like an easy setup service breakdown just because there's so much going on these days I'm just trying to find a way to make things easier for people to still have a good time and reconnect with friends and family 
Well, I want people to be able to find you and go obsess over your images on Instagram, much like I am. Uh, so <laughs> where can they find you? Absolutely. Uh, look for me on Instagram. So it's at picnics in the six. You can also check me out on my event planning page on website. It's www.byjoy.com. And I'm also on TikTok there. So you can check out at picnics in the six there too. Incredible. Thank you to Barbara Joy Mitchell today for joining me. And thank you to our sponsor, RBC. RBC is here to support you through digital first solutions, advice and services that go beyond banking to help you realize your true potential because owning a small business takes something special. That's why RBC is behind you every step of the way. Visit rbc.com backslash business. This week in entertainment, we are bringing you an interview Anne Brody conducted with Pixar character art director Deanna Marsgalese. A Toronto native, Deanna shares her experience working on Luca, Pixar's latest release. Anne is enjoying her garden today, but you can still find her weekly reviews of new entertainment at whatshesaidtalk.com. Someone got lucky today. It's absolutely unique. I mean, I don't remember seeing a film this vivid and this playful and fun as, as Luca. Honestly, I was just blown away. And I have to ask you, what fish is Mother based on? You know, she, because she's such a strong powerful uh, female personality, you know. I really embraced more of a dragon approach with her, right? She's got the snout, right? And she's got a lot of spines through the tail, a little bit more of an aggressive design, right? Just to to reflect the way she moves in the world. She's a presence, right? And she's not, she's she's someone to be dealt with, right? Yes, Uh, she who will be obeyed. That's right. That's right. So I wouldn't say there's any existing sea creature that I really looked at for her. It's more just the idea. Yeah. Um, Dragony. 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 We definitely uh, softened that look. We didn't go full dragon, but definitely informed. Leave them alone. Hop on. Go start the club for losers. My name is Giulia Marcovaldo. We underdogs have to look out for each other. What's under the dogs? <laughs> Something I, that really caught my eye was the play on the face of the light when the sea monster, when Luca is underwater. Mm-hmm. That was so special. All of the lighting in this film is uh, gorgeous. And I know that Kim who orchestrated all of that, was the mind behind uh, all of that, did so much research when we were in Italy, you know, looking at what exactly is Italian Riviera light. I mean, underwater, when we were there, we had cameras. So we actually did swim around um, in the sea with these cameras and recorded as much detail as we possibly could. And there was a lot of light play and um, beautiful things like that. What do you think he kills with those? Anything that swims back to the faces being alive i mean we're used to animation we're used to very good animation but this just seemed to 
take it to a different level in terms of the movement of the mouths when they, they're speaking, and particularly mother, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, the detail, absolutely painstaking detail, and I want to congratulate you on that. And did anything um, uh, offer you a, a tremendous challenge? Well, sure. I mean, everything that you're speaking about now, these were things that we iterated over so many times, uh, especially when I moved from art into animation because I was an animation sketch artist lead as well, which means I'm working with the animators, drawing over the poses, we're experimenting with different looks and developing the style of animation to accompany the designs. So the mouths, for example, that was a project on its own, right? Because you'll notice that there is no pinching, no pinching, no square, no straights. Everything is round, round corners, yes, yes. asymmetrical. You never see the back of the teeth, right? That's uh, far too, uh, far too uh, anatomical for our design. So we had to tip dentures, collapse molars, lot, lots of things. Lots of things had to be done, lots of uh, polish, and the animators are phenomenal. So they really just embraced all of this oh and brought it to life. And, you know, it's, re it's really just so fun to watch. Your life is so much cooler than mine. There's a million things you think you can't do. All you need is a chance to try. Having lived and in, 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 uh, taught in Toronto, do you miss it? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. My husband and I are both from Toronto. We moved here together. I was actually born in Windsor, Ontario, but went to school Windsor. in Toronto, which is where I met uh, my husband, Dan. It was born and raised in Toronto. Um, but we miss it all the time, especially now, you know, this, the summer's around the corner. And I know things are a little dicey right now, but Toronto yeah. summers are iconic. You got the patios, you know, you go to the Danforth, <laughs> drive my bike all around, you go to the beaches. I mean, I loved all the cut streets and alleyways and College Street. Oh, yeah, I miss it all the time. Every yes, day. well, you'll have to make it back sometime soon. Something's fishy with you two. This is too dangerous. Lucius! I know your problem. You got a Bruno in your head. A Bruno? Say, Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Louder. Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Can you still hear him? Nope, just you. Now hang on! What's wrong with you, stupido? You do it now. Just say the thing. What's wrong with you, stupido? <gasps> More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Sitting in a park in Paris, France, reading the news and it sure looks bad. They won't give peace a chance. That was just a dream some of us had. Still all if overthinking were an Olympic sport, women would no doubt dominate the field. Before you think I'm stereotyping, I've got science to back my claim. In one of the largest brain imaging surveys ever done, scientists discovered that the brains of women were significantly more active than men's, particularly in the cerebral cortex, which is primarily involved in impulse control and focus, and in the emotional areas of the brain, which regulates our mood and anxiety. 
Ladies, we are literally hardwired for overthinking. Sam Madore is an entrepreneur, speaker, and mental health advocate who wears many hats. She is also the host of Let Me Overthink About It podcast, where she and her guests explore topics that occupy their anxious minds. Thank you for joining me today, Sam. Thank you so much for having me. I took such great comfort in knowing that I, A, that there is science to back this up and B, that I'm not alone. A lot of women overthink. (laughs) No kidding. When you just said that, that there's science behind it, I was like, man, and by the way, I'd love to be an Olympian. So I'm on it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, considering you have a podcast dedicated completely to overthinking, I'm thinking that you might be a gold medalist. So tell me why, why did you start this conversation? I have struggled with my mental health for most of my life, whether I realized it at the time or not. And I've kind of had in the back of my mind that I wanted to start a podcast over the last couple of years, but I didn't really know what the topic was going to be. And because I have been quite open about my mental health over the last couple of years, something in the realm of mental health made sense to me. And, you know, when the pandemic hit and all I seemed to be doing was overthinking, it was sort of a natural fit to have that conversation and to normalize conversations around mental health with all kinds of topics, everyday topics. You know, I don't know that there's a lot of benefits that have come out of this pandemic, but if I was to put my finger on one, I would say that the discussion around mental health has become normalized uh, with so many people struggling with mental health. Would you agree? I 100% agree with you. It's becoming something that people who've never struggled with their mental health before are not, and not to say that I'm happy that that's happening to them, but it has opened that door for more people to be like, what is this anxiety that I'm feeling or, or the overthinking that goes along with the anxiety and, and just having to cut down on connections with people has really, has really opened that door to those conversations, which is great. Yeah. And I think perhaps, you know, because we're normalizing it, because we're discussing, discussing it, we are becoming a little more empathetic towards each other and people's struggles that we may not see on the surface when we're scrolling through highlight reels on social media. 100%. It's like people are saying, I get it. And there's nothing better than if you're somebody who struggled with their mental health for people to say, I get it. That's like number one on the list of things to hear when you're talking to somebody with, with mental illness. Yeah. It's, it's validating to know that you're, totally. you're not alone and that your thoughts are probably are totally normal, not probably totally normal. Exactly. Uh, let's talk about sort of those five biggest topics then. So what is it, what are people really overthinking? Well, it's funny because we always have a theme for every episode, but inevitably the conversation goes off topic and we get onto other things. But ultimately, you know, one of the main things that we've talked about in a lot of episodes is courage. And uh, I guess the flip side to that is fear and, you know, overthinking, nothing makes you overthink more than when you're scared to start something or scared of what people are going to say about something. So courage and fear has been intertwined in a lot of the conversations that I've had. Uh, We talk about grief a lot. um, And of course, with the pandemic, we've all been grieving one thing or another over the last year and a bit. Um, And one other thing that I really wanted to focus a lot on was sort of those creative outlets when you're overthinking. So if you're really noticing yourself on a downward spiral is like, Maybe I, you know, dance, maybe I listen to my favorite music, maybe I pick up a journal and start writing. Um, And so we've talked about a lot of, of that in our episodes as well. 
Do you think that the pandemic has um, caused women, I mean, I know you talk to men as well, but caused women to reassess sort of what their life was doing pre-pandemic and where they'll go now that we're starting to come out of it? I really hope so. I hope that for myself and I definitely hope that for other folks too. I mean, if not now, then when are we going to take that time to kind of reevaluate what's important to us? And I talk about it a lot, um, focusing on those little things, the things that you might take for granted or the things that you've never really had time for before is really taking the time to focus on those little things to, to get through. When you talk to people, I'm curious. So overthinking, you know, for me, overthinking, there is a running dialogue in my head that never shuts off, just never shuts off. I, that makes I, me feel good, Candace. <laughs> I don't mean to, you know, <laughs> I don't mean to sound bad, but it does make me feel good that you also have that crazy brain going on. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's exhausting it, yeah. because sometimes you do want it to shut off. I mean, a lot of the times I'm, I'm very grateful for my inner dialogue. It helps me be creative. It helps me seek out new guests like yourself. Uh, but how do you, have you come across some tips for turning off that inner monologue or quieting it a little bit without say the use of drugs, uh, you know, to do so? You know, I'm not good at it. I will tell you this, but I also will say that I have found some tips and tricks that work for me. I mentioned music and for me, I, music is, I'm not a musician by any stretch of the imagination, but I go to music all the time when I, I need to kind of get out of my head and just turning on my record player in the mornings and trying to start the day off in that different mindset and that mindset of listening to something that I want to hear and kind of getting into the music, maybe dancing around my kitchen if I really feel like it while I'm making my tea. I find that really helps to kind of get out of my head and uh, writing is another thing that I do that that is really, really good for me to, to get out of my head. Okay. I want to dive a little bit into one of the uh, areas that that's listed here about, you know, things we overthink, and that is the concept of being yourself. Uh, a lot of us struggle with imposter syndrome and feel like the, the persona we put forward is a fraud. How do we then reconcile that that person we put forward and the person we feel we are inside? Um, who have you talked to about that and sort of any tips on that or thoughts on on being at peace with that? I mean, you're speaking my language. Imposter syndrome is something that I talk about a lot. It, it, it is absolutely one of the topics that has been intertwined in a lot of the conversations. It was an episode as well early on in my first season. And um, I think the thing with imposter syndrome that helps the most is literally just talking about it because you look, like you said, of at what people are posting on social media and it's not the real grit of the day-to-day -day that you're seeing in your newsfeed. And so anytime I see somebody being real and honest on social media, it just makes me feel like, okay, whew, I'm not the only one who is fill in the blank. So I think by just starting those conversations and having that with one of your friends and saying, have you ever felt like this? Chances are nine times out of 10, they have. And it just opens that dialogue and makes it feel like you're not alone. I'm having one of these moments here where I'm thinking about something and I'm just going to say it out loud because I'm overthinking it. But, you know, <laughs> I think about social media and I think about each new platform that's come up over the years, you know, and these places to be real. And I'm putting this in quotes. 
but you know, Instagram used to be the place to be real. And then it became very polished and you had to have the perfect yes. picture. Now everybody has rushed over to TikTok yeah. where that has become the place you are real. I hope that it doesn't become this polished version, but why do you think we always try to do that? Try to clean up and present as perf- perfect for people. Man, I, if I knew the answer to that, I would, <laughs> I would be a very rich person. No, I, you know, I do it myself. I, you know, even though I like to be real and I like to be honest and open about my mental health, there's definitely days where I'm like filtering my photos or overthinking which photo I post and all that on Instagram. And it really drives me crazy. So, I mean, I think we do it because we just have that innate need to be liked or to fit in or whatever that is. And I'm really hoping that by having these conversations about, you know, all kinds of things that we start to normalize how being perfect is not possible and nobody is as perfect as they appear on social media. Yeah. Let's normalize being a little bit neurotic. Like we all are. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the fun part. Uh, I want to thank you for joining me today. This was a great conversation. I really want people to connect with you, find your podcast. Where can they do that? Sure. So you can listen to my podcast. Let me overthink about it on pretty much all the major podcast sites. You can Apple Podcasts, Google, all of that, uh, Spotify. And you can also go to my website, which is thesammador.ca. And you can follow Let Me Overthink About It podcast on Instagram as well. Wonderful. And you're going to avoid putting up polished pictures, right? I want to see the next picture of you, no makeup, completely like everybody else does. (laughs) Challenge accepted. All right. All right. And I will do one too. I will do one as well. All right, Sam. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much. Will you take me as I am? Will you take me as I am? your teen up when they're feeling down might be doing more harm than good, uh, says Allie Payne, our resident teen expert who joins me today and TikTok sensation, I might add. Uh, Welcome (laughs) back to the show, Allie. Thank you so much for having me. I love coming across you on TikTok because um, you come up on my For You page and I love that. So um, it's always good to have you here. So let's talk about this. Um, I get this. Teens are moody. They get down. Uh, as a parent, you want to get in there and come on, cheer them up. What are we doing wrong? So let me go back for a moment and say that part of this is not, okay, this is not bad parenting, not judging anybody here. For us, our generation, for the most part, we were not raised in a home where the full range of emotions was allowed, particularly angry or unhappy ones. So here we are now as a generation of parents who have children who also have a full range of emotion and are growing up in a more emotionally centered world. But we as parents, generally speaking, are not comfortable with angry or unhappy emotions. And so also because we love our kids, they come home, they're kind of down in the dumps, they're feeling a bit blue, they don't believe in themselves. So of course we go try and cheer them up, right? We're like, oh, but I believe in you, you've got this, it's no problem, et cetera, et cetera. The problem with that is 
teenagers tell me that they feel guilty for, ha for, for having feelings that are anything other than happy. They feel fake because they're only allowed to feel happy and eventually they feel numb because they're not being allowed or encouraged to have a full range of human emotion. And so what this comes down to is you and I as parents, knowing that we love our children, of course, and that in fact, what we need to work on is our own comfort level with uncomfortable feelings so that when our teenager comes to us and says, I just don't know, I'm worried about that test. I don't, we can just say, it's okay to question yourself. It's okay to struggle. You know, I don't I, believe it, in myself either. We are a generation as Gen X uh, yes. that, that we, we know this, we, we know better or more uh, than <laughs> we did. Uh, and, but I think the issue is that maybe we know, we know now, but we revert back to where we were. That's, yeah. I think the struggle uh, exactly. for most do, parents. Yes. We do what we learned, even though, you know, we know that, um, our teenagers need to have feelings and need to feel validated. And so what ends up happening in our also just pure and primal love for our teenager and want them to feel positive and happy and believe in themselves the way that we believe in them, we are in fact invalidating them. So what ends up happening is I call it pom-pom parenting. When we're doing this cheerleading all the time um, is that we are trying to motivate. Motivation is a thinly veiled expectation. Motivation comes from the root of wanting someone to change. So the minute I'm wanting them to change, because usually I feel really uncomfortable watching my child struggle because it's hard, that means that I'm not letting them be where they're at. And that's what they need most is they need encouragement and validation to feel what they feel and be where they're at. And for me to just come alongside them and love them in their mess. I think, I think probably most people are listening to this saying, okay, fine. This is, this is all great. How do I stop myself? Any tips for this? Put an elastic on your wrist. Put an elastic on your wrist. And every time you notice yourself doing it, give it a little snap and also make an agreement with your teenager. Just say to them, look, I'm not really good at this. I've noticed that maybe I don't give you space to feel everything you need to feel. Here's a word or a code that you could say to me when you're like, mom, Kate, and I'll be like, okay, yep. So just out yourself. Yeah. Be yeah, because it. there's there's nothing wrong either with admitting that you maybe don't know it all or have all the answers, right? Exactly. And that's an, also an opportunity to say to your teenager, what kind of things feel really validating for you that I could do or say? What feels encouraging that I could do or say more? You're allowing them to tell you because you're in relationship with them. So letting them have a little bit of a say in it would probably be a good idea. And what are the teens telling you over on TikTok? Because I know that they're spilling to you in their DMs. <laughs> so what are they saying? Yeah, so this is where um, I think, this is partly why I think parents go so far down this road of trying to motivate, which is actually called toxic positivity, is because there's so many teenagers struggling with anxiety and depression and a lot of significant mental health challenges that when our teenager comes home feeling sad or down one day, we catastrophize and think, oh my gosh, they're depressed. And they're, you know, so we make up all this stuff. So the teenagers are telling me that their parents are even more afraid of negative emotions, that now they don't know what to do with this other half of their human experience. And it becomes so wildly unsettling and out of a control feeling 
Um, they have no vocabulary to put around it. It actually does the opposite. It builds anxiety because they also don't know how to feel comfortable with really uncomfortable feelings. They don't know it's okay and it's safe. They don't know how to express it. And they don't know that that's normal. Like they don't have to be happy, happy, happy all the time. So there's this other, other side to it. And that actually what they want most is from you and your parent, you, you, the parent to feel safe feeling that and to be loved in that process. Big, big stuff going on in the world. Just read an article, 70% of teens are suffering with mental health issues. That is huge. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Allie, we're gonna have you back, but in the meantime, I want people to be able to connect with you because you run great workshops, you're on TikTok. So where can people find you? Absolutely. The best place is Instagram or TikTok at Allie Payne or my website, AllyPayne.com, A-L-Y-P-A-I-N. Incredible. Thank you so much, Allie. We'll see you again soon. Thank you. Have a story for what she said? Email us at 1059theregion.com. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. There is no dispute that the housing market is red hot right now, which makes it fitting that my next guest is the co-host of HGTV's Hot Market. Rana Khaled's goal is to be a realtor that makes an impact and in particular wants women to understand the power that comes with owning property and to know that you don't need a husband or partner to do so. Welcome to the show, Rana. Thank you, Candice, for the great introduction. Okay, so let's talk. I want to... If I were to put two people in front of you, two single people, one man, one woman, what is a typical response from them when when you're talking about owning a home? Great question. So I'll have two people approach me, a male and a female, both referrals to lease a property, but both also great candidates to buy. So I'll run the question, the golden question, have you thought about buying? The male will turn around and say, can I really, can we make it happen? When can we start looking? But the female will turn around and say, I don't know, owning, I've always thought I'd do it with my husband or my boyfriend. And that question, I just want to, that answer, I just want to say, no, you can do it on your own. You don't need to wait for anyone. Right. It it probably fires up your inner feminist, right? Like, what are you waiting for? (laughs) You'd be surprised how many women actually do turn around and buy a lot. We're, We're actually very powerful. But I, I, that percentage of women that do have that hesitation. Yes. Like I do want to shake them and say, no, no, you can do it. So what, what is it that's holding women back then from buying property? What are some of the major obstacles you hear? I think it's just, we like, for example, my culture, uh, where I come from, my background and being a middle Eastern woman, you know, we always did things with a man. Men did the financial decisions, the real estate decisions. But I've seen it with also different cultures um, where I meet women. It's just the way we're brought up and raised. Remember, not too long ago, I think 25 years ago, a woman couldn't get a loan without having a man co-sign on that loan. So I think it's embedded kind of in our parents' head. And we just thought that we can't do it without a man, but we can. 
Okay. So what does a woman need then? If she wants to buy a home, what does she need to have in place before she comes to you uh, to purchase a home? Save, 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 save for that down payment. Two, I really want women to stop with the hesitation and move forward. Book that appointment with that mortgage broker or your bank. See what you're qualified for. And even if you're not qualified today, you'll be qualified in a couple of years. At least put yourself on a plan. Third, don't just jump in and buy anything. Know what you're investing in, especially with this crazy market today, everywhere across the board. You know, you're going to have to own your property five to seven years before you see that great return. So don't just, you know, rush and buy anything. Know what you're putting your money in. Uh, I let's think- talk about Let's talk about that housing market for a minute, because, you know, we recently had somebody on who talked about the new stress test. And it can feel a little overwhelming looking at housing prices, the stress test, that new stress test that came into effect. I mean, is now the time to get into the housing market or do you think it's best to save and perhaps wait to see if it's going to cool off a little bit? You know, Candace, such a great question, but people have been telling me they wanted to wait seven, eight years ago and look at, look today. I don't think we should wait, especially that, you know, the borders haven't opened yet and we are welcoming more than 400,000 immigrants. Like I think, no, in fact, try to get an opportunity, take advantage of the first time home buyer incentive that we have in place. Talk to a professional, see what you can afford, crunch your numbers. Don't just jump on anything and leave yourself in a situation where you're very tight with money. But yes, it might not be your dream home, but it's the first step. You're climbing the ladder. I didn't buy my dream. I'm, I still haven't bought my dream home. You know, I'm just going step by step, house by house, and, and eventually I'll, I'll get my dream home. But, you know, get yourself in the market. I don't think people need to wait. And what about Toronto specifically? I mean, you know, Toronto, Vancouver, Ottawa, these are really hot markets. Are you seeing people who are saying, okay, you know what, it's, it's better for me to be sort of move a little bit out of that city center? Or do you think it's worthwhile to stay in these very, what is, you know, now expensive markets? Yeah, we have seen a lot of people move to the suburbs away from the city because that's what they can afford. But to be honest with you, Candace, the suburbs are not much cheaper. So you're moving, but the suburb, now you have to calculate your time, taking the the train, the go train, whatever it is, your commute, you have to take that into consideration. I think a lot of people that move to the suburbs, now companies are going to open up, people are going to go back to their offices, and they're going to feel it. So I think there's going to be that rush back into the city again, once everything opens up. So would a good realtor then would they guide you through that thought process of, you know, thinking about all of these things of living in a suburbs versus living in a city? Of course. You know, I, I've had clients where I told them they weren't house people and they weren't. And they told me their friend told them to buy a house. They bought a house, called me a month later. They said, we're not house people, we're condo, we're city people. And that's what's happening is people are being rushed into the whole thought, like I need to own a house, but you don't, you might just be a condo. It's, it's a, style of living right right With house there's a lot of responsibility mowing the lawn the taking care of the uh, trash uh, fixing up the house there's a lot of work to be done and some people just enjoy condo living better and being in the city so you know i think a good realtor has to really get to know their clients and see their lifestyle how do they live do they enjoy you know, being out and about dining every night, enjoying a nice glass of wine out in a patio. Well, then the suburbs is not for you. Right. 
Excellent. Excellent tip. Okay. I want people to be able to follow you because I know you were a wealth of information. You're always sharing great stuff on social media. So can you please let people know where they can find you? Of course. On Instagram, my handle is Rana Real Estate. My website, ranarealestate.ca. Please reach out, check your junk. I do respond a lot of times. I don't hear back. And I think my mess of my emails just go to junk. Do check your junk. I do respond actually quite fast. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was great. Thank you so much, Candice. Thank you. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.